Hello and welcome to the Sonic Cinema Podcast. My name is Brian Scuttle. Thank you for joining me at www.sonic-cinema.com as well as the Sonic Cinema Podcast YouTube channel. You can also uh, check us out on Google, Apple, and Spotify for podcasts. And we also have patreon.com backslash Sonic Cinema. There you will find early access to uh, some newer reviews uh, some older movies that I'm seeing for the first time reviewed. And uh, this month, for uh, exclusively for patrons, I'm going through the DCEU in preparation for Zack Snyder's Justice League to come out. And uh, I'm doing some new uh, brief video reviews for that. And so that is www.patreon.com backslash Last year marked the 10th anniversary since we lost one of the great anime filmmakers, although I would say probably one of the great filmmakers of our time in Satoshi Kon. Uh, <clears throat> if you are not necessarily familiar with his work, he did Perfect Blue, Millennium Actress, Tokyo Godfathers, and Paprika among his feature credits, as well as a... Uh, TV series called Perfect uh, Paranoia Agent. Joining me to discuss Satoshi Khan and his work is a friend of mine whom you've heard several times on the uh, podcast before we discussed Princess Mononoke for the Class of 1999 series, and I'm pleased to join have uh, joined the podcast again, Mr. David Miles. Thank you very much for joining me. Glad to be here. What was your first, do you, do you remember when your first um, experience with uh, Satoshi Khan's work was? Yeah, um, I, I think it was Paranoia Agent, actually. Hmm. Um, I think I had missed, well, no, no, it may have been, um, oh, shoot. <laughs> I, th I think it. I think it was actually maybe Millennium Actress uh, because. Uh, but but it, it, it's just kind of fuzzy because I, I was into at the time. Um, I was into uh, this. Is, you know, back in the early two thousands, I was much more into TV series. You mm -hmm. know, um, and so maybe Millennium Actress, maybe Paranoia Agent. But I know um, I remember seeing Tokyo Godfathers uh, with you. Yeah. Uh, back back in the day, and so I'm not sure if we saw that like right when it came out or or later, um, but uh, but I think I think I kind of got into Shikoshi, Shikoshi Khan kind of like all around that that early 2000 times, and so so I would say see it was, it, I can't quite remember right now, but it's either Millennium Actress or Paranoia Agent that that first got into his work. Okay, yeah, and yeah. I I remember when we went to go see uh, Tokyo Godfathers together down in. Mm -hmm. Atlanta, and I can't remember if we saw Paprika together. Because I know yeah, I, I saw that theatrically, but I can't remember if you and I ended up seeing that together or not. Yeah, I don't. I don't think. I don't think we did. I don't think we did. But uh, I had. I had already watched. Um, by the time Tokyo Godfathers came up, I I had already seen Perfect Blue and Millennium mm -hmm. Actors. I caught up with both of those, and uh, one of the things that I've I'm always so struck by whenever I watch his work and especially watching it, all of those films for the first time is this is, you know, it's like, it's, it's funny when you think of 
anime, I think a lot of people who may not necessarily be familiar with the medium always kind of think of it have, as having similar styles. But if you look at something, if you look at the films of Satoshi Kon compared to, say, Hayao Miyazaki, you can definitely tell different styles, very distinct uh, styles of animation. Um, even though it's yes. essentially hand-drawn, essentially uh, um, traditional cell animation, and that, that even includes something like Ghost in the Shell or Akira as well. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, um, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of uh, easy to love. It's kind of easy to love animation all in one thing anyway. And then, you know, if you are familiar with Western animation, but, you know, you're not necessarily familiar with anime, it's easy to lump that in together. But, but, but once, you, once you really get into it, um, yeah, I mean, they're definitely distinct art styles uh and 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 then you know and once once you understand like that there are distinct art styles then you start actually getting into the distinct studios you know mm -hmm. that, that that do the art and so and so then you start and i know within the anime community it's like there's certain people that like certain if, if they hear of a new anime coming out and they hear it's from a certain studio that might be into it or not into it just because of the studio that's doing the art right mm -hmm. regardless of, of who maybe necessarily the, the director is um so, 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 yeah, and 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 for for me, um, I think you know maybe Princess Mononoke, but definitely uh, once I started watching um, Linear Actress and Perfect Blue, uh, you know what what struck me about those is just how you know have, being such a fan of Western animation and growing up with say He Man, you know, mm -hmm. and, you know, and uh, and all that, just just how adult. Uh, this animation was right. Yeah. Um, and, and this is this is even after um, you know, watching some anime. Um, I'm gonna throw out some names like noir and stuff like that. Um, you know, which which are kind of kind of adult anime or um, uh, you know, Witch Hunter Robin. Um, you know, or or, or Cowboy Bebop, which which are adult, but you know, sort of. But it it's, it all it all kind of came like in the early 2000s, just like how, how adult this stuff was, and then. You have Satoshi Khan coming in with not just sort of an adult, adult themes, but really taking it to the next level with imagery, really taking it to the next level with scenarios, mm -hmm. and, and 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 it being hard. To, not, I mean, for some for some of the stuff, hard to follow in terms of story, or really having to focus, you know, in terms of story as to like as to like where things are going. Because um, Perfect Blue, definitely when I watched that the first time, it threw me for a loop, and you know, I thought uh, particularly. Um, during the scene, um, there's towards the end of the movie where there's like she's getting like some sort of a, a sort of a, an interview from like a um, a mental health professional or therapist, mm -hmm. you know. And I thought I thought we were there. I thought that was the end of the movie, but then it kept going <laughs> after that, you know. Um, so, so it's just you know uh, the the level, level of maturity of, of of you know his movies in particular, but then you know of, of anime at, at that time period. What really struck me? Yeah, and. Uh... I mean, it's it's something that really is missing from Western animation, in particular American animation, because yeah. Disney, Disney and Warner Brothers and Looney Tunes and all of that, they've so cornered the market on animation as a family medium that nobody's really ever been able to bring a more mature. I'm a more, a more mature sensibility to it 
I mean, we do have, there are occasionally attempts, and I know Richard Linklater did some animation in the 2000s with Walking, Waking Life and A Scanner Darkly, where he tried to bring a more mature uh, type of animated film from American filmmakers, but even that, I mean, it's, even that with him, uh, it's it's essentially um, rotoscoping live action. I mean, I guess I guess really the only uh, filmmaker that I can think of in terms of American uh, filmmakers that have that has really been somewhat successful as far as more mature animation is, uh, and even even success by his standards is questionable whether you can call it that is uh ralph bakshi where i mean you've got stuff like fritz the cat and american pop and his lord's lord of the rings adaptation from the late 70s and those are definitely not of the same school as disney or don bluth or um warner brothers but at the same time it's like they're also they don't they also don't go quite to the same places that Satoshi Khan or uh, some of the other anime filmmakers do. Right, right. You know, I, when, when I think about, you know, uh, adult animation and <clears throat> and the West, one, one of the interesting things is, like, uh, I think there are certain, uh, and this is more around, like, TV series, but I think there are certain um, uh, animators that sneak it in, right? Mm-hmm. Right, right. Where it'll be a children's show, but the themes are more not necessarily for adults, but more for, for teenagers. And 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 so there, there's an appeal to adults, particularly the adults that grew up with the shows. So like a Batman the animated series, you know, yeah. um, or a, a Justice League animated series, or even something like Avatar: The Last Airbender. Um, you know, it's just the, the, what's so interesting about these shows is that you know they start off as little kids shows and they kind of grow with the audience. And so if you watch, for example, Avatar The Last Airbender season one, uh, it's distinctly different in terms of themes and voice acting and stuff like that versus season three, right? Um, right. And, 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 and there's, there, there's definitely an evolution. And then uh, the sequel sort of series to Avatar The Last Airbender was Legend of Korra. Uh, and Avatar The Last Airbender featured like kids that grew into teenagers. And Legend of Korra starts off with a teenager. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so and, and so 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 what, what you what I've often see on the Western side is like these um, TV shows that kind of sneak in as kids shows, but are more like young adult teenager shows by the time they, they, they finish up. That's that's where I think kind of where the the sweet spot of um, animation for adults is in the, in, the, in the West. I mean, so sometimes you see like even like a Frozen, you know, will have things that uh, appeal to adults because they know that adults are going to be sitting in the theater right next to the kids, right. <laughs> you know, you know, you know, so, so they'll, they'll all have elements that, that, that appeal to adults, you know, um, but, but I would say that's even a step, you know, a step back in the evolutionary chain from a TV show like, um, you know, uh, a, uh, a, a, a Batman the animated series, which is which evolves into from kids to to you know teenagers, but then that's a step back from you know a Satoshi Khan or maybe a Miyazaki, you know um, that that is just just feels like it's for adults, you know. And, and for Miyazaki, um, one of the one of the interesting things about him is that uh, I had stayed away from from his movies for a long time, then kind of got back into it. And we we had talked about this with Princess Mononoke, but. 
it just, it, I didn't realize how violent that movie was. Yeah. And, 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 and in my mind, I had, this was, you know, Miyazaki is a softer Satoshi Kon. So, yeah. you know, he'd be okay for kids to watch. And then I rewatched uh, Prince of Monoka. I was like, oh my gosh, <laughs> so, like, people's heads are getting chopped off and whatnot, <laughs> you know. Um, and so, and so, uh, yeah, yeah, I, you know, I, I, uh, I, I, I'm, I'm not entirely sure because because the, the West is definitely taking now more influences from anime, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and manga is so huge and it's just completely eclipsed comics books. Right. Um, and and I know, you know, there's been a couple of manga stories that have been optioned by, you know, various studios. So um, I'm, I'm wondering if we'll see some sort of uh, we may not have a Satoshi Khan, but, you know, we'll, we'll see some 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 adult animation coming back into play. At a, at a Miyazaki Satoshi Kon Japanese anime level yeah, in, in the West at some point. Yeah, and I'm I'm curious because of the fact that uh, with every with all of the studios essentially developing their own products projects for streaming now, it's like I mean yeah. we we've talked about you know the the move towards streaming just individually, and um, yeah, I mean I can certainly see. I, I can certainly see studios taking more of some studios, not necessarily like Disney or what have you. Although, you know, if they, you know, if they really wanted to expand their horizons, especially when it comes to, you know, when I know they've already done it overseas, but when they eventually bring their more PG 13 up projects uh, to Disney Plus, or whether they do that versus on Hulu in the states, or what have you, uh, at least some of these other studios like uh, Warner Brothers with HBO Max or Paramount Plus or Netflix, even I mean Netflix might be the one that is more likely to do it, I would imagine, than any of them because of the fact that with some of the animation projects they've done, they've definitely skewed more towards um, not as much uh, family-friendly, although, I mean, there's still a lot of that, but also also being not being afraid of more mature themes and more mature ideas to where maybe they do give a blank check to an MA filmmaker and uh, say, you know, do what you want. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would say definitely that Netflix is probably... Yeah, at the forefront of, of that. And, and if we're going to see some sort of a renaissance um, there in terms of um, uh, Western animators, directors, uh, animation directors, whatnot, taking, um, uh, you know, taking influences perhaps from anime and, 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 and starting to make really adult movies slash TV shows that are animated, uh, it's, it's probably going to be on, on Netflix. Like, I mean, they're kind of already doing it, you know, they're, they're making their own anime and things like that, but but that's that's probably going to be where where it happens first, at least. Mm-hmm. Mm. So let's let's bring this back to Satoshi Khan and yeah. his his first his first feature, which was uh, Perfect Blue. And I know the thing that struck me. I know it was hard for like you couldn't really. There were some places like video stores that didn't really rent anime. I mean, unless it was a bigger title like. Ghost in the Shell or even Akira, but even that was, that could be hard to find at times. 
So there were few movies in those early days as far as anime that I essentially blind bought because of the fact that I was curious to see them. And uh, one of them was Perfect Blue. And I, I know the reason Perfect Blue stood out is because they had a uh, quote from, uh, I believe a quote from James Cameron. And he basically compared, he likened this to Hitchcock. He likened this to sort of that type of vein of thriller. And that really intrigued me because of the fact that I was still relatively new to watching anime, but I think it was also just coming off of Princess Mononoke, and I had seen Akira by this point, so I was definitely, the hook was definitely um, in me to get to see more anime, and th this is, this, for me, this is still one of the best movies I've ever seen. It just yeah. continues to engage me every single time, and uh, one of the, one of the things that um, you'll find when we are Talking about um, Satoshi Khan on this episode is that he really had a gift for playing with the reality of his of his characters, and the the one exception to that is Tokyo Godfathers, which is more of a straightforward narrative. But um, even something like Millennium Actress, which feels like it should be a relatively straightforward narrative plays with reality in a way that, you know, it reminds me of, you know, Millennium Actress reminds me of Sunset Boulevard, the Billy Wilder film, where that film is about a silent age star who essentially is at the end of her, her stardom and she's basically living alone and she has this, but she has this desire to still be a star. And, um... You know, this, and so Millennium Actors sort of feels in that vein, although not quite as dark as uh, Sunset Boulevard was, Perfect Blue is essentially Hitchcock. It's essentially Vertigo. It's essentially Marnie. It's even uh, Rebecca, his uh, 1940 Oscar winner. And the thing that is, this is about a pop star who is transitioning who is trying to transition to a, uh, an acting career. And she's leaving the thing that made her famous and made her popular, and she's trying to branch out into something else. And, she basic, and there's basically a stalker that is terrorizing her and sending her notes and basically threatening her to go back to being a pop star. And... The, the way that the descent into, uh, for Mimi, the main character, into madness, uh, th this film was very much an inspiration for, if, you have, if you've seen it, um, but you haven't seen Perfect Blue, uh, Darren Aronofsky's Black Swan with Natalie Portman is very much in this vein of film. And uh, it's it's interesting. I was I was thinking about this in regards to, um, you know, recently we got a documentary on uh, about Britney Spears and the way she was handled by the press, the way she was governed by the press um, in her at the height of her fame, and how 
the press basically the the press essentially drove her crazy and it's it's weird to and it's funny to see uh, it's not funny but it it's interesting to see parallels in some of these real life scenarios to what we see in for Mima uh the main character in Perfect Blue yeah 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 you know i think um uh you know he has you know, so Chris Khan has this gift to, you know, in his stories, in his movies, kind of compare, you know, uh, sort of the, the different personas that a person might might live between public, private, you know, on screen, off screen, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and uh, and so and, 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 and yeah, yes, yeah, it's, it's interesting, not only how much how well he kind of captured sort of the the lifestyle or, or, or the pressures um that's put on to, you know, a, a Japanese idol singer, you know? Um, but, uh, but then, uh, so, so number one, just, just how, just how well he captured that. Uh, but, but, but then uh, number two, just, just how, um, interestingly he told the story of like how their maybe public and private lives blended together, mm-hmm. you know, um, or, or, or how the, the public and private lives weren't, weren't respected, you know? Um, uh, or you know, this this there's a sequence where you know the the idol group that she left they start becoming successful, and so you know this idea of like okay I'm leaving something to do something else, but then when I look back, you know maybe people have continued on without me, um, and so maybe I, I regret that a little bit, you know, or, or or I see them you know becoming successful, you know when I look back maybe it, you can even compare this to like leaving a job or something like that, you know, and you see the company continue to be successful without you, you know. Do you, do you kind of almost have like a regret and kind of want to go back and kind of capture that 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 concept there, um, and and so so he just you know he captured all these these aspects of um, uh, you know uh, of, of of a person going through a transition like that uh, so well mm-hmm. that, that 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 was really really amazing and you know I mean I'm sure you know the when when you look at it, when you look at potentially like a life, the life of Britney Spears or like a Justin Bieber, you know, or, or something like that through the lens of this movie, uh, it's, you can understand what they, what they would all basically go insane. You know, you know, I, I actually, I actually remember Justin Bieber when he first uh, came onto the scene, he was like just a little kid, you know, mm-hmm. basically, you know, and, and, and how his parents were talking about how he'll always be, you know, okay because he's got this good head on his shoulders and stuff like that and, and we have him now where you know he's kind of going a little little off the reservation you know mm-hmm. uh and and he had sort of what his parents didn't want which was sort of the typical um you know little pop star you know little kid kind of going into you know a very difficult adolescence and a difficult adulthood and not not really knowing themselves he kind of had that uh and so you know I, the, the 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 ability for him to capture that um i i thought uh was was very very well done uh and 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 again viewing it through viewing those the people the lives of these famous people through that lens of of, of perfect blue it's like yeah i mean i i i i can understand better which is weird you know but i can understand better the the, the lives of a britney spears or a justin bieber because i've seen you know this movie yeah and one of the one of the most remarkable things to think about is that this this movie this movie initially came out in 1997 and the internet was still very new 
when yes. it came to uh, fan culture, when it came to you know message boards, when it came to online interactions with fans and stuff like that. It's certainly not nearly as not nearly the levels of that it is now where you can essentially tweet somebody or comment on their Instagram and what have you, and maybe even get a response. But it's one of the things that's really kind of remarkable in this film is that you have Mima's room, which is the, uh, which is the uh, message board that uh, the stalker essentially runs. And is one of the things that, really starts to torment Mima and you see the you you see the potential for psychological torture that a star can feel and the pressures that a star can feel or even somebody on the right on the rise to stardom can feel uh when it comes to fan interactions in uh something like that and this is this is like almost 25 years ago and with and right now you look at it is that you know Hollywood I think it was it was either Hollywood Reporter or Variety had an art, had an article about Kelly Marie Tran uh, with uh, Ryan the Last Dragon coming out this week and one of the things that and you really do kind of see one of the some of the toll that that experience took on her emotionally speaking, uh, being put under the microscope and then the way that she just essentially had to completely divest herself from it in order to heal. And that's one of the things that is really, you know, it's it's something that I think it, it's, I think social media has kind of turbocharged the potential for that, but at the, and it's something that we're essentially still reckoning with. And I think we'll probably always reckon with when it comes to uh, social media and the internet in general. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's it's, it's interesting um, how uh, you know he was able to kind of see these things. You know, in, in the telling of this story, kind of see these things and and um, almost prophesize about like how, how bad they would eventually t- turn out to be. Um, you know, uh, un- un- unchecked. Uh, and uh, and and you know I, I think some of the some of the just just in terms of celebrities um, uh, and 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 you know how they kind of go through this sort of thing some, some of the best ones um, you know what what they do is they they don't have a social media right um, and they they really are able to set decent boundaries between um, you know uh, p- private and public right mm-hmm. uh, and and. Uh, and, and and so so that always makes Satoshi Khan's um, you know thing so interesting is that you know um, the 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 melding of, of, of private and public you know of the, the melding of, of, of the personas because you have to you have to think that even even people that do well to separate the two have moments you know where where they combine and if you may perhaps if you even have too many of those moments just just in your own head you know mm-hmm. you you actually end up you know uh, at, a, at, a, at a at a bad place. Uh, and so, yeah, no, it's, it's, uh, y- you know, it's, it's, it's interesting to see, um, how, uh, you know, he almost forecasted kind of, kind of where, where it would be with, with, with some of these things, you know, I, I do think, 
uh, you know, just as sort of a social commentary thing that things will get better. I think, um, uh, you know, uh, these, the, the concept of social media amplifying things and, and the idea that children or, or young people are being, uh, you know, sort of mentally hurt, you know, like that's, that's, that's going to come back to, to bite some of these, um, companies uh and you know the and, and there's going to be some regulation that gets put into place you know facebook's are well google's already in trouble right right so so uh you know the, the justice department's already going after both those companies and so, <laughs> so I'm, I'm i'm actually hopeful that um we we went to where satoshi khan kind of forecasted mm-hmm. uh, we went there right but I'm, I'm actually hopeful that we're not going to stay there because uh, we will actually figure out how, how to balance um, this this thing, but but we definitely went to where Satoshi Khan kind of kind of forecasted. We definitely went there. Oh yeah, definitely. And uh, the the you know it once once things shatter for Mima in this movie, as far as once her nature, once the idea of her reality kind of shatters, it's like up until that point, it's a really interesting thriller. It's a it's very much in the vein of Hitchcock. It's very much in the vein of a filmmaker playing with the ideas that Hitchcock played with and doing it very successfully. But once, once shatter, once the reality is shattered for Mima, it's like that is. I feel like that's kind of where Satoshi Khan's gifts as a storyteller, just in general snap into focus because of the fact that to a certain extent he's kind of he he kind of gives himself permission to go off the to go off the leech there and i think when he's really dealing with a not a consistent uh sense of reality i think is some of his strongest it's also some of his most um uh it's it's also some of the storytelling that you almost have to take a leap of faith with in a way. And I mean, we're, I, I feel like you kind of see that, especially with, with films like Paprika and uh, TV shows like uh, Paranoia Agent 2. Right. Yeah. I was, uh, I was watching a couple of documentaries um, uh, and I, I saw him make this comparison between almost sort of like the, the, the dual personas that he has in his movies, you know, or, or the multiple, multiple personas. He says that he has a, there's a hoodlum con and a mature con, right? Yeah. And, and, and within the mature, within, within sort of the mature con, you know, the sort of, sort of, sort of the businessman, the one that he knows is making a movie, he can let the hoodlum con kind of run wild. Right. Yeah. Uh, and so that's, so that's what you see, say at the beginning of Paprika, where there's mm-hmm. just these insane, cuts that are just magnificent, but they're insane, you know? Um, and, and, uh, and, you know, where, where the movie begins to, where the, in his movies, things begin to like just fall apart and just be crazy and, and fast and beautiful. Um, you know, that's, that, that's where he's just really, really going off the reservation, but that's when he's, uh, doing some of his best work. Cause this is, you know, he's saying a whole bunch of things visually, um, a lot of times, but it's, it's, it's very fast. But it's, it's, it's at the same time, it's, it's, it's well communicated. Uh, and or or you know, you know that you're in like the depths of a character's psyche, uh, and you you know you've been dragged into this area of understanding that's just deep. You know, um, or or you know, you're you're like you're you're sitting on sort of the razor edge between both of their lives, and you're looking at both of them at the same time. You know, um, 
And so, so, so yeah, I mean, that's, that's, that's where you really get, I mean, his, his storytelling is great all the time, but you know, that's, mm-hmm. that's where you really get to the, uh, the, 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 the meat of his, his talent and abilities. Yeah. And, uh, it's, it's, it's interesting because of the fact that, um, the, you know, it's like, it's, it's, sometimes it's difficult to really sort of understand, especially with, especially with animation, given how much control the filmmaker, the director has on, um, sort of camera angles for lack of a better term. Or, you know, essentially the way a shot is composed. And, you know, there, there's a bit more freedom with that in animation and also a bit more control with that in terms of animation. And I, I think something like Perfect Blue and Millennium Actress is a great way to sort of show the film, the show that you can make a film, an animated film that is essentially in a genre that you're familiar with in a type of story that you're familiar with and Tokyo Godfathers does this as well. And it's, it's arguably the most conventional film that Satoshi Khan made. Um, and it's, you know, it's like, but at the same time, you, you don't necessarily, you, you still see the animation in it. You still see the artistic, of the animation, but you also are thinking of it in cinema in traditional cinematic terms as well. Right, 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 right. Yeah, it's, it's, it's almost like a his movies are kind of a, a showcase for um, you know doing uh, you know your almost traditional film themes, mm-hmm. whatever you know. But but in, in animation, like show, showcasing it that, that that it can be done, you know. Uh, uh, and, and it can be done, but in a way that takes advantage of of, of what you can do with animation, which, mm-hmm. which might be possible or ridiculously expensive um, with um, uh, you know live action. Yeah, and I think that's one of the reasons his his next film, uh, Millennium Actress. It's like you and I have had this discussion in the past. Words like I, it it's one of those things where it's like I I sort of. I, I very much recognize that Perfect Blue, I have a, an increased affection for Perfect Blue, but I can also, there are also times re-watching it that something like Millennium, that Millennium Actress really grabs me and I'm almost preferential to that, like immediately after watching it because it's just such a beautiful and uh, creative way of telling that particular story. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's uh, you know, I, I yeah, I'm kind of the same way. I mean, I definitely have uh, uh, favorites, you know, in terms of um, maybe even just scenes uh, and, and especially music of, from from his you know various movies and whatnot. But uh, I mean, you know, I, I'd be hard pressed to say like Millennium Actress isn't his. <laughs> it might be his best film, you know. Yeah. I mean, it's certainly you know is is is. I think you know may not be my favorite of his films, um, but you know, I mean, I think it's just one of his best films. Period. You know, best his best pieces of work. Period. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, it's just it's 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 a really it's it's a, it's, it's really amazing. And it's 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 you know you, you can almost see um, almost kind of like we were talking about before, where you know you could t- tradition tell you you would 
tell a live action story in that way, you know, sort of a flashbacky type thing. But it's 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 more it's more than that, you know. It's 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 doing it in a way that takes advantage of animation, and there's much more of a meld mm-hmm. uh, present past, you know, that that you just don't see um, being done in, in in sort of a western and live action animation. You know, it's it's it's, it's 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 taking that traditional storytelling of you know um, here's a flashback of my life and taking it to the next level you know yeah and in when i was uh writing notes for each of these movies when i was watching them with millennium actors one of the things they said was it's almost like an animated documentary where you know mm-hmm. it's essentially about these filmmakers who are discussing the history of an old studio with one of the studios great legends as an actress. And I, I love the fact that the animation medium allows Satoshi Khan to take the filmmakers into the past and make it come alive in a way that a traditional documentary really would not allow that. Right, right, right. Agreed, agreed, agreed. Yeah. It's just, it's just, um, he's, yeah, he's just, it's, it's, it's kind of like what you just said. I mean, you know, it's, it's, he's uh, he's able to just to add layers on top of what you would typically expect, uh, and uh, in, in, in a gripping way. Uh, it's it's just you, you know, and and I know he um, he was very much a uh, collaborator, um, and so you know he's definitely collaborating quite 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 a bit um, in, in his animations. But uh, you know, his the the story he's telling is distinctly him. You know, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, and uh, it's very much an evolution style from Perfect Blue, and yeah. the way it embraces the uh, the way it embraces a lack of reality that really you really you can only um, achieve through animation, and it's hard to do in live action. I mean, mm-hmm. it's it's it would be it would be very prohibitive to do a movie like this in live action, just from a financial standpoint. And it's funny because of the fact that like this, this is the, the story of millennium actors was inspired by two Japanese actresses and that character's story was inspired by that. But I also love that as somebody who loves old films, who started to really get into world cinema and really embrace uh, world cinema, you have references to Godzilla, the original Godzilla in this. You have references to Kurosawa in this and one of his movies, Throne of Blood. And and that's something I wouldn't have gotten until I saw Throne of Blood myself. But, I mean, the Godzilla references, you know, it's like most people were know essentially what Godzilla looks like. So, I mean, it's pretty easy to uh, pick out that reference, but having that type of, I mean, yes, you could easily just throw footage into that in a live action documentary, but to craft animated homages to these two titans of world cinema in Godzilla and Kurosawa is just, it, it's going to another level to celebrate cinema and that's that's one of the things that is so that is just so wonderful about this film and just really his work in general because um you know when we talked about 
uh, Tokyo Godfathers, it's very much a traditional Hollywood. It's essentially a very traditional Hollywood story, and it's a story that Hollywood has told several times before. Right, right, yeah. And I was, um, you know, when I was thinking about it, Millennium um, Actors kind of reminded me of uh, WandaVision a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, just with, 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 with the homages, and but but you know, it's it's coming from a a place of of love for you know um, the these old movies you know mm-hmm. or or these, these these old TV shows you know it's it's uh and 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 that that comes through you know in the in the in the work uh, and so it, yeah yeah I mean like, like you said it's just it's just a next next level of craft I mean he didn't have to do that you know but it was it's just a next level of craftsmanship. Um, for for him for him to put that in there and just shows that he's you know he's a true lover of you know this these various you know but these storytelling art forms and 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 these various directors that, that he's pulling from and, and what what's what's really interesting is that there's a uh, and it's unfortunately it's defunct now but there's a um, there's a YouTube channel called Every Frame a Painting I don't, I don't know if you've heard of it but uh they they, they have an episode on this is really kind of focused on editing uh in terms of um uh movies and and but they do a uh they have an episode on satoshi khan uh and uh you know they they, they just talk about kind of like where where he was coming from and and how many um other directors were influenced by his by his movies and like mm-hmm. literally pulling frames you know <laughs> you know directly from his movies and putting it into into a live action movie, so you know, it's interesting to see that cycle where you know he's kind of influenced by live action that goes into his animation, animation, and then these these directors that kind of grew up watching his stuff or was very influenced watching his stuff have now taken his animation and put it back into their movies. Yeah, yeah, and it's not often that I mean we usually, especially in the United States, we often look at animation as more the product of the studio than we do an individual you know but in anime it's like you definitely get a feel more for the sense of essentially the uh the working of essentially the auteur theory that the french new wave came uh coined which is essentially the idea of while the director is not the only person who creates a film there is a very significant footprint of that director in the film. And so it's easy to recognize somebody's work, you know, a work like Millennium Actors or Perfect Blue, if you're familiar with his work, and even Tokyo Godfathers is Satoshi Khan, but as well as Spirited Away as Miyazaki. And, you know, even even in the States with... Pixar, we've we've started to see that with Pete Doctor and Brad Bird. I mean, even Brad Bird, when you consider Iron Giant, and even when you consider something like Tomorrowland, which is not necessarily a good film, you still see it can still see it within the framework of his work, like being Crabbles and Ratatouille as well. Right. Yeah. 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 It's interesting because uh, yeah, you know, um, when you look at like I, I have my favorite animes and stuff like that, and, and you know, and I I know if there's if there's going to be a certain director, you know, uh, animation or you know, like a story director or animation director, then I kind of 
you know, I'll, I'll, I'll watch it just because, you know, I know that they made it or, or whatever, you know? And so, so it feels like, um, in, in Japanese animation, like the, the Artur, the, 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 the name, um, matters more than, you know, um, a- a- animation in the, in, in the United States. Uh, and, and we're, we're kind of getting there a little bit because, because, you know, when, when it comes to live action, you know, a Christopher Nolan movie, right. Yeah. You kind of, you kind of, you, you kind of know what you're going to get there. Um, and, 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 uh, yeah, it definitely feels like, um, we're, we're, I, I'm not sure though, if we'll ever get to the point where, um, the, the person doing the story, you know, the, the, the director of the animation in terms of anime, is is as well known as like the director for a Pixar movie, right? Yeah. You just yeah. you, you you know it's Pixar more more so than you know anything else, right? You know mm-hmm. about, about 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 the the person directing it. And so I'm I'm not sure if we'll ever you know if we we'll ever get to Christopher Nolan levels, you know, of of of, of a person coming into it as as in, in Pixar as as we do with you know even even yeah yeah I mean you know it, it feels. But and then but in Japan it's like no you know you you can enjoy an anime and never know I mean there's definitely people that are hardcore into like what animation studios behind it but never know the animation studio behind it right right whereas whereas in in, in the West I mean you know Pixar right yeah. <laughs> you know or, yeah. or, or you know DreamWorks right mm-hmm. um, so yeah so it's it's, it's interesting you know kind of how the, the those compare and and, and contrast and. Uh, you know, I, I I do wonder if we'll get to. I mean, you know, Brad Bird, but you know, I, I do wonder if we'll get to. Um, you know, I, I mean, maybe, maybe, maybe not. I, I I do wonder if we'll get to the point where you know the the, the director sticks out as much um, for Western animation as, as it does for you know our live action or as it does for um, Japanese animation. Right. Yeah. And uh, I mean, I think really the only, I think really like the only live act. I think the only anime filmmaker you, most Americans, if press, could probably name is Miyazaki. I, I think that it's probably like the only one that um, people could really... That uh, Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's probably the only one that uh, most people could really identify as, oh, hey, I, I, I recognize his name. And it's because... And ironically, it's because of the fact that, like, for a decade or so, like, Disney was responsible for bringing his movies to the States. And so it's, so, yeah, I mean, it's it's one of those things. And, you know, Spirited Away is one of the few non-American produced films to ever win the best animated feature Oscar. And I, you know, and and the thing is, and I think, if there was more of a, I think if there was more of a, if there was less of a disparity in availability with anime, I mean, I think we could get to that point to a certain extent, but at the same time, because of the fact that studios like DreamWorks and Disney and Pixar, they own so much of the uh, territory in terms of availability and access in America, I mean, I, I think it's kind of harder to do. Um, it's, his name escaped me. I don't know how it did, but uh, another name on, uh, on the American side, even though, you know, he's had to disappear, uh, John Lasseter. Yeah. You know, I think that's that's probably a name that people who, like, love Pixar, 
mm-hmm. would probably say his 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 name is as, as well, just because you know because Toy Story is is Toy oh, Story, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know. You know. Um, but 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 yeah, yeah. You know, you know. But it's it's interesting too because on the uh, on the TV side of animation, um, you know, like a Bruce Tim from Batman the Animated Series, or I can never say the last name, so I'm just gonna say Brian and Mike from um, Avatar: the Last Airbender. You know, you do you do seem to know. And maybe it just comes comes down to the audience in terms of like, um, or, or, or perhaps it's, it's the vehicle because you know, uh, you know, Pixar is 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 the name, you know, and, and you know, so you say Pixar. It didn't used to be Pixar and Disney, but it's not Pixar and Disney. And that's that's all you need to know, right? But if something, but but if you know, yeah, Batman the animated series coming on television, you know, it's just you don't even necessarily think about Warner Brothers. You just think about. Batman the animated series. Okay, now I just kind of want to learn more about it. Who's behind it? You know, mm-hmm. that's where you get Chris Tim and um, what's his name, the guy that did Lost as well, um, Paul Paul Denny. Um, so, but but yeah, so um, so yeah, so it's, it's interesting how that compares also on the um, the TV side, uh, and 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 so it'll be interesting to see how that affects streaming mm-hmm. uh, or how streaming affects that as well, because you know uh, there's the one of the guys that did Avatar: The Last Airbender went to do. Uh, the Dragon Prince uh, on for on Netflix streaming, uh, Aaron Ehas, and and everybody knew, you know, he was kind of behind it, you know, um, when, when it was coming out, you know. So so, so it's interesting, um, you know, how that uh, might might change. I, I think I think it might be just because of streaming and stuff like that. I think you know the um, uh, the, the world just might be moving to sort of episodic animation. Mm-hmm. Being the thing, right? The, yeah. the, the, the new thing, you know. Uh, animated movies outside of, say, a Pixar um, might kind of not necessarily die out, but 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 you know, might kind of just t- take a back burner, um, you know, to to uh, the more episodic style of animation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, you know, I, I I think that's where some having you know it it's. A, it's a coup for somebody like HBO Max to have like when they debuted that streaming service, the fact that they had exclusive rights to Studio Ghibli and <laughs> the fact that they could offer those as a part of, I mean, it's part is one of the reasons HBO Max is one of the best uh, libraries of films in streaming because of the fact that in addition to these movies under current classic movies, in addition to their DC work, in addition to all these yeah. other uh, classic films that they have, they also have a Studio Ghibli that they can offer. And, you know, so more people who are who may not be familiar with Spirited Away or My Neighbor Totoro or even Princess Mononoke like they can they can get in that way if they have HBO now and you know it's going to be interesting to see what um cuz Paramount Plus just uh launched yesterday and yeah. it's going to be it's going to be interesting i know they're when you consider Nickelodeon when you consider MTV i uh, you know they they've got quite a bit of animation that they can offer too but it's going to be interesting see where they take their animation in the future. So whether they can create something along the, whether they can um, 
do something along the lines of what we have on uh, HBO Max. Right. Yeah. I. I. Uh, it's. It's. And that's just good. You know, just taking back to Satoshi Khan. It's just. It's, it's such a shame that he passed because yeah. you know. Uh, you know we. You could see, you know, particularly with anime becoming popular and stuff like that, you could see a Netflix just writing him a check for $200 million and saying, you know, give us two TV shows and a movie, you know, you know, and and, and who knows what kind of, you know, because, you know, I was just reading something about this the other day about um, Japanese animators and how they're not being paid a whole lot of money. And then you have, um, you know, which has been the story for for years, right? This is not this is not a this is not nothing new. But, but then you have Netflix, who has uh, a content budget which is the size of the defense budget of Canada. That's yeah. the defense budget of Canada, but but but, but, but it's, not, it's not the defense budget of the United States. Right. But still, I mean, you know, we're not. I mean, this is not chump change, right? No. Uh, you know, and they they can essentially produce a new movie show or a new TV show every week. Right. Yeah. I mean, definitely. I mean, that is that is a ton of money that they're putting into content. And so, you know, to have and so it's so unfortunate that, that he's gone because to have him in this in this world where, you know, anime is up, manga's up and, you know, and, and you know, him being him, I, I really, you know, think that Netflix or maybe Amazon, who's desperate um, for, for content, would have picked him up and asked yeah. him to do you know, and 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 it could have been like a two or three movie deal, you know, mm-hmm. where he could have just kind of relaxed with as much money as he needed and as much time as he needed to make something, you know, really awesome. Yeah. Before we before we get to uh, the work that he did complete, I did want to bring up within regards to this conversation, uh, the one film that he didn't complete before he passed. Oh, yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Which is uh, which was Dreaming Machine. Yes. And he had. Uh, he did start it, and there are only, and I guess um, looking at Wikipedia right here, and uh, I guess there were only 600 of the 1,500 shots that had been animated to date. And um, I, you know, it's, it's kind of, it's a little, I mean, on the one hand, reading some of this, and it's like part of the reason that they've sort of held off of it is because of the fact that they're looking for, they're also looking for, have been looking for a filmmaker that could match Satoshi Kon in terms of abilities and vision, which is part of the reason why they haven't, uh, why Madhouse hasn't completed it yet. Yeah, good, good luck with that. But at the same time, <laughs> and at the same time, it, it's kind of surprising that you don't have a Netflix or Amazon or studio like that, or even even HBO Max. If I mean, who's you know, who's willing to say, hey, I mean, we'll give you the funds to, you know, finish it, you know, if you just, if you just, you know, want to uh, find the filmmaker to do it. And I mean, it's, I mean, I'm, I would like to think that maybe at some point we'll actually see that project uh, finish up and come to fruition, but it's, it is a little surprise because of the fact that, I mean, we have gotten movies you know, recently in terms of like Netflix, basically uh, they, they brought it recently phone call finished Orson Welles project that had been abandoned to, to streaming. And it's like you, I mean, grand, this isn't the same thing, but at the same time, it's like, it is kind of surprising that there isn't a studio that's been, that's gone to Madhouse and say, "Hey, we'll we'll give you whatever money you need to finish it, 
you know, if you just want to find the filmmaker to finish it. Yeah, yeah, I, I think I think that's that's coming. Uh, you know, I think um, when you look at when you look at the trends, um, when you look at something like the BBC, who is running out of money, um, and they uh, they're they're essentially saying like the only way that they can kind of move forward is to partner with an Amazon or Netflix. You know, uh, with, with an increase in their content, they're they're already doing that. I think with HBO with um, Historic Materials, is, isn't that HBO and BBC together? I believe uh, so. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, which I wish I need to see because I, I love that book series. Um, and uh, and so so when you take that, when you take Netflix, somebody like Netflix who's willing to um, give money to you know for the uh, a sequel to the Dark Crystal, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and 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 when they thought about doing an animated, they were like, no, Netflix was like, no, let's let's do it with the puppets, right? Yeah. Um, and we'll just write the check, right? Um, and then, and then when you have Netflix moving into anime and Netflix, um, you know, uh, uh, yeah, just, 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 just really investing money there. I, I honestly think it's, it's, it's a matter of time before you have Netflix, potentially Amazon financing these, uh, Japanese productions, you know, and mm-hmm. potentially, you know, on, on a large scale. Right. Uh, and then, um, potentially leading you to where, you know, it's like, uh, finish, you know, Satoshi Khan's m- m- movie, you know, because I, I bet you they'll, they'll find somebody or a combination of somebody if Amazon writes a $200 million check. Oh, right. You know? Yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know um, so, 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 yeah, so I, 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 I hear you, you know, it's, it's definitely um, surprising that it hasn't come yet, but I think, I think it's coming, yeah. you know. Um, so let's, let's bring it back fully to Satoshi Khan and uh, with his third film, which is Tokyo Godfather. Um, this is this is an adaptation of a loose adaptation of a novel, Three Godfathers, that was written in the early 1900s. Uh, there have been several adaptations and versions of this um, over the years. Uh, one of the more famous ones is Three Godfathers, which is directed by John Ford. You could also even say, you know, a, the Three Godfathers essentially was remade and and ripped on in Three Men and a Baby. If you want to go really commercial, but um, Three Godfathers is basically about um, Tokyo Godfathers is essentially about uh, three homeless um, people who find a baby on the streets and take care of it and they are um trying to and they're they are also trying to uh find its you know to a certain extent they're also trying to find its parent but at the same time they're also just trying to take care of it in general and uh this is you know and it's like this this movie is a movie that um I I didn't necessarily need to sort of warm up to how I felt about Millennium Actress and Perfect Blue, but this is one that I did kind of have to warm up to, partially and probably because of the fact that it was such a uh, such a left turn for Satoshi Khan as a filmmaker coming off of those two. But really, when you think about it, um. It's this is one that I just really enjoy watching because it's like it should be 
a really depressing watch. It's a movie it should be really depressing and dreary, but because of the joy and the way that we're completely engaged with the three main characters in the movie, it's it's hard not to just absolutely fall in love with this movie. Right, yeah, when I was watching the uh, the documentary, he said that he kind of was coming from an angle of making it a uh, a comedy and, you know, having all these sort of coincidences and sort of, you know, happy accidents, if you will, ha- happen throughout the movie. Uh, but it's, I mean, this it's, his, it's also a, a, his traditional kind of dark, <laughs> you know, it has this very, very dark elements to it. Uh, so, so it's not, I mean, you know, it's definitely not like a, your, your traditional sort of American comedy for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, but, but it's, it's definitely comedic for him, you know? Yeah. Uh, and, uh, and, but, but yeah, I mean, this, this one was the one from, for me, this one was the one that I was, that I found most appealing right off the bat. Um, it was, I was immediately taken and, and, uh, and, and, love with this, in love with this movie, uh, when I, the first time I saw it. And, um, I, I don't think, I, I don't think I had known at that time, um, just, just how much of a departure it was for him, you know, somewhat, um, from from his from his previous stuff, um, so maybe that that factored into it. But uh, yeah, I was definitely in love with this movie uh, the first the first time I saw it. Yeah, and it's it's funny because of the fact that you you look at Perfect Blue, you look at um, Millennium Actress, they both are set relatively in a specific in relatively in reality, but they also break that reality for. Uh, emotional purposes, whether it's the psychological torment in uh, Perfect Blue or the emotional connection to the past in Millennium Actress, this is the only one that really settles into that specific definite reality and very much feels like the real world. And I I think that's that's one that that's one of the great strengths of this film, as well as just the interaction between the and the connection between the three characters as well. Right, 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 and and yet yet at the same time, you know, the the story definitely hits on uh, different personas, you know, different different life. You know, each one of them has sort of a, a different life that they had to you know abandon and whatnot, and so I'm sure that was part of the appeal. But um, uh, you know, just just in terms of him, um, and but uh, and, and the flashbacks. They, they just they feel they feel like more than flashbacks mm-hmm. you know um, you, when you go into you actually feel like you're somehow he's doing like you actually feel like you know you're you're going into these people's lives almost as if you're in a millennium actress um you know uh where where it's, it's a flashback plus plus right <laughs> right right um and so so you know it's 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 more uh, although it's, it's, it definitely feels like a more sort of rooted in in in, in reality, some, you know, traditional kind of sort of storytelling. Um, his flash, something about his flashbacks feel like they're more than flashbacks. It's 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 uh, perhaps just how he joins it all together. You know, it, it, it almost it almost even though he's going back in time, it almost feels like it's it's, it's all linear. Like he's he's giving you uh, the background of these characters at exactly the right moments mm-hmm. that. That, that you need to know it, you know? Uh, and, and, and so, yeah, yeah. You know, I, I feel, I feel, even though this is definitely a departure, I, I definitely feel like there are elements of his blending 
of of, of lives that, that that come through um, as as usual, you know, and in, in, in this storytelling. Yeah, and I I think it helps that these these characters are essentially a family right off the bat. Like it's right. not it's not one of those things where they have to grow to become a family. They're already a family, and they already have the specific dynamics. Like Jin is, you know, he's the obvious father figure. Hannah, who's a drag queen, is very protective of the child. And then you have the teenager, Miyuki, who is essentially a big sister for for the baby. And uh, also somebody who's very... Each one of them are dependent on the others. And, and the fact that they also... There's obvious tension between all three of them, but at the same time, there's it. It they also always will come back as a family, and that's one of the things that is, and and that's one of the things that makes this movie just work so beautifully. Right, right, yeah, absolutely, absolutely, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. That's 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 what makes it uh, uh, feel a bit a bit warmer, I think, than some of the other. Uh, the, the, the perfect blue, where um, you, you know, uh, it, it, it almost felt like the character was becoming, you know, more and more isolated. Uh, and then, um, you know, Millennium Actress, the character started off as essentially isolated, you know. Um, but uh, but there's this this family aspect uh, and and implicit love between all the characters um and and Tokyo Godfathers that is that makes it feel you know warmer and and it makes it gives gives the audience something to kind of attach and hook onto this this family aspect yeah and we talked about some of the uh social commentary at work in Perfect Blue not so much in Millennium Actors because Millennium Actors really feels more like a memory piece for a film industry that is you know past and doesn't really have in term have a whole lot in terms of social commentary beyond that. But Tokyo Godfathers, because of the fact that all of these characters are homeless and all of these characters are homeless for one reason or another, they all have uh, faults or at least societal faults that people hold against them. Um, seeing the way that they've, sort of adapted to their lives as, as they've lived them and the seeing, seeing the way that they're able to sort of make, make things, um, the way that they're able to really, uh, put aside the struggles that they've had on the streets and, uh, been, are able to come together for the purpose of, keeping keeping this baby alive it, it's it's one of those things where it speaks to the resilience of really people who are kind of forgotten by society right yeah 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 you definitely get the feeling that um uh even with the uh the the attack that happens on the guy i forget i forget what his name is um uh the you know the the, the kids that that attack him um, because they think he's just, you know, it's, it's interesting when it happens in the story too, because you, you've really connected with him, um, and and you see 
it, it happens right after there's that, an actual, you know, kind of homeless guy that, that, that dies. Um, uh, and then these, you know, kids come to harass, you know, one of the main characters. Uh, and, and, and you really get the feeling like there, there's a moment for each character where, you know, they're, you really get the feeling like they're, they're an outcast from society, you know? Um, and, and, uh, and yeah, this is definitely his, his commentary on that and how these people are treated, uh, in, in, in a very visceral way. Um, uh, and, uh, and, 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 and yeah, it's in, in this, you know, he did part, part of that sort of commentary, like you said, and, and, and uh, not necessarily so much Millennium Actors, but, but Perfect Blue as well. And so it's, it's interesting how he's able to weave social commentary into his stories without necessarily hitting you too hard over the head with it, but still make it really hit you in, in, in an empathetic way uh, with, for, for the character or with, mm-hmm. with the character. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's the, you know, Tokyo Godfathers is so, it's, it's not a predictable story, but it's an easily accessible story. And I, you know, if, if you get a chance to watch any, I think if you get a chance to watch any of the Satoshi Khan films, I, I think this is definitely one to check out. I mean, I, I, and it's probably the one, one that I would say start out with and then sort of go backwards and forwards in his, uh, among his, uh, five projects, uh, with Millennium Actors and then Perfect Blue on the older side of it. And then um, definitely work your way up to the uh, last two projects we're about to talk to because they go as as surreal as we've sort of made Perfect Blue and Millennium Actors sound. It's it's nothing compared to what we see in uh, the last two projects that he was able to complete before his passing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm with you on that. Yeah, you, you know, I, I sometimes. Um, uh, you people, you know the the older style animation um, of um, is still still very very well animated, but Perfect Blue, you know, kind of going back, you know, uh, to still starting with Turkey Go Godfathers and then going back to that older style of animation and then maybe going forward to to Paprika, which is you know beautiful animation, um, you know um, that, that that could be a little jarring. Um, I, I think to, to some people some, sometimes um, it, it is for me sometimes when I see an anime that's that's that a whole lot of people recommend because the story's so good, but it's an older style animation. So yeah. it takes a second to, to shift into it. Um, but, but definitely don't, don't let that deter you, you know, to, to anyone in the audience, you know, um, you know, uh, you will, it, uh, perfect blue is an older style animation, but once you get used to it, beautifully animated, but once, once you get used to it, you know, you'll, you the story will take over. Yeah. With, with that said, uh, let's, let's try to dive into these last two projects of his. Yep. And um, let, let's go ahead and go in chronological order because uh, the, uh, first, the first of these two uh, came out in 2004. Uh, it is a 13-episode uh, TV series called Paranoia Agent. And this this was actually the last one I had seen of Satoshi Khan's. I had already seen his four features well over over the years. Um, by 2006, by the time Paprika came out, I had seen his uh, previous work. Paranoia Agents, the only one that I hadn't seen, and I actually before they finally uh, brought out onto Blu-ray uh, this past December. Um, I actually watched this on YouTube in uh, 
dub form, and uh, that was that was definitely a uh, it was it was an unfortunate way to uh, watch this for the first time. I'm looking forward to uh, watching it again. Um, it's kind of hard to know where to begin with this movie because as 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 weird as Paprika is, um, Paranoia Agent just is, you know it. This is this is very much uh, Satoshi Khan just completely off off the leash. Like this is thirteen episodes of him just really sort of sort of indulging uh, his surreal side, and uh, he he does build up different stereo uh, different uh, story arcs, and uh, we we do get. Um, individual characters that we get a look at but um this this is this is definitely one of the wilder uh animated projects i think you'll watch if you uh get a chance to watch somebody like satoshi khan in general yeah 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 this this one uh, i didn't have enough time to really watch all the episodes so i kind of just dug into some of my favorite ones um uh particularly the one uh with the, the, the happy family planning episode which uh looking at wikipedia's episode eight um uh the uh the the end of that was really messed me up <laughs> a, little, a little bit um but 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 um this par- paranoia agent uh and I, I, you, you probably haven't in your notes to talk about it but the uh, the music um yes. the opening yes. the op- the opening sequence uh, <laughs> with uh i'm gonna pronounce his name wrong uh hirasawa susumi yeah. hirasawa yeah um you know uh i was when i was watching the documentary they talked about the you know i i think it was that the, that show was being shown late at night um, and so they wanted to make, you know, an intro that was, um, could kind of wake people up, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, but then the outro, you know, was kind of like going to sleep. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And so, but, but, but to see like that, that first of all, the, the intro song is great. Um, mm-hmm. and then to see the, uh, the, the, the characters kind of like, you know, laughing in these sort of crazy, predicaments and scary scary predicaments uh that that, that just really had i think that 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 really had an effect on me and i think it was what also made the music stand out for me Mm -hmm. um but uh you know i've i've since become very much a hirasawa fan um uh, and uh you know the first thing i did after saying paprika was 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 get the soundtrack (laughs) you know that's one of my favorite soundtracks of, of his um but but yeah no i mean this 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 whole this whole show uh, you, you know, uh, I, I guess it's like a bunch of his, uh, some of his ideas that, you know, he never really turned into bigger projects, you know, mm-hmm. uh, supposedly. Um, uh, but yeah, I mean, it's, you know, so it's almost like if you give, you know, he's taking these unfinished ideas and just kind of running wild with them, yeah. <laughs> you know, you know and, and, and that's, and that's a TV show. Um, and so, uh, and so, yeah, this is, this is definitely him kind of off the wall. Uh, kind of going crazy, but but you know I, you still kind of you feel a thread in between all of them, yeah. uh, and and there's there's definitely episodes that that really work as character studies and 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 you know um, uh, just just kind of going deep story wise. Yeah, it's funny because of the fact that like I I I tried to write something on each episode of this, and you're absolutely right about the music, and it's it's interesting. 
that uh, it, it makes sense that they would say that as far as like the opening sequence basically or the opening music being something that's supposed to wake you up and then the the closing music is something that sort of lulls you to sleep. It's like that's that is something that becomes very obvious just when listening to go watching through each episode. And I love both of those songs for exactly those that those reasons. And uh yeah the music in the music in this is wonderful to uh to watch to really exper- to really experience. Um it's yeah I mean so there's there are two there are two main characters. I would say there's sort of two main characters that stand out in this, which is the the creator of the uh I guess the the a pink dog that is basically a uh, popular television character and uh it's the the dog's name is Maromi and we see toys of them uh throughout the episode throughout the series and then there's an attacker called Little Slugger and uh and he basically attacks several of the different characters and um it's it's basically a in a way there's sort of pop uh police procedurals uh with um also psychological aspects sort of going through each each episode and it's sort of the the realizations of what is what is the truth of this world um it it does make sense that this is this is essentially a collection of uh ideas that he couldn't quite he didn't quite um put together as as cohesive uh story narratives and uh but that's that's not a bad thing because i i think to a certain extent makes the it makes the series more watchable and more interesting because you kind of want to see as each episode is going um where the next one is going to go yeah 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 i mean you know um you know i, I wouldn't want to make a Bunch of TV series like this, yeah. <laughs> but, but, but you know, you know, yeah, it's it's, it's definitely. Uh, I, I definitely was glad that it was made this way. I mean, you know, it's, you're getting all sorts of elements of, of, of Satoshi Khan, you know, uh, throughout these. You know, there's there's some public-private lives. There's there's some you know blending of reality. You know, um, there's you know there's there's, there's dealing with death. You know, um, all all this typical stuff is kind of thrown in here and kind of mixed around in a big blender and extracted in, 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 in different ways and stuff like that. So, mm-hmm. so you know, it's it's definitely it's definitely um, uh, I'm I'm definitely glad that you know he, he did it, uh, particularly before he died. You know, we, yeah. were, we were able to get kind of this full range of his his potential ideas and, and, and where he could potentially take things. Um, you know, there's even though he explores, um, I think in, in one of the stories or a couple of the stories, you know, public versus private lives, um, you know, so, 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 so different lives. Um, he doesn't like that. I don't feel like at least the main character did that. You know, the main character was really about, you know, escaping, you know, um, mentally escaping the, uh, what she had done, you know, with the, uh, with, with the dog on the leash. But, um, and, and so, and so I, I felt like that, 
from a main thread of story was a little bit of a departure, you know, yeah. even though he captured, you know, the, the, his usual elements throughout the various stories. I, I thought for the, for, for the main character and the main thread, it was a little bit of a, a departure from the storytelling, but it was still, you know, um, a, 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 a splitting, you know, uh, it was, it was much more of a ma- abstract split, maybe, you know, uh, yeah. uh, so not necessarily public and private, but, you know, I'm going to make up this, this whole concept as, as to what happened and sort of split, split mentally in order to, to, to deal with, you know, the, the mental reality of something. So, so there was still this sort of split concept in there, but it was definitely much more abstract and not, you know, sort of the, uh, the, the dual lives that, 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 that he um, normally goes with. Yeah. And it's funny, you brought up uh WandaVision earlier when we were talking about millennium actors and it, mm-hmm. you know, thinking back on it, it's like, I'm looking back at the review that I wrote last year on uh paranoia agents. Like, it's one of those things where it's like, you know, I'm, I'm not going to get into spoilers on WandaVision, but it's like it, it does sort of feel, you know, one of the one of the words they have here is that, um, you know, one of the things I say here is that, you know, Satoshi Khan has about five and a half hours because, uh, throughout these 13 episodes to explore these concepts in this world rather than just the 90 minutes that he's used to in his feature films and it's great because of the fact that you can flesh out the world in a way that you can't do within the confine necessarily do within the confines of a feature film but at the same time you almost but at the same time you can't help but feel feel like maybe if they'd reined in the concept a little bit more uh you know it probably would have been this probably would have been a tighter film and like a tighter project than some of the episodes like I I mentioned specifically in episodes 7 through 10 like this series really lost me like I had no idea what I was trying to do in those four episodes like I I have no idea what's mm-hmm. going on and it's like that it's fun to watch to a certain extent but at the same time it's also kind of frustrating too yeah, yeah, yeah. Like that that episode that I, that I really like is um, episode eight. Um, but it, it it almost felt like it could be uh, its own short film. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you know, uh, you know, very very tangentially related to you know Little Slugger and, and, and all that. Um, yeah, yeah. So there's there's definitely times when uh, he he goes where I mean, there's almost like. You know, there's the main thread through all the episodes, but, you know, there's definitely times where it felt like, you know, he almost wrote this story and then he connected it to the main thread. It's like the last thing he did, you know, (laughs) and and so uh, and and, and then, you know, put it in the show. So. So, yeah. So, you know, you definitely I definitely remember the first time I watched it getting lost, too. It's like, you know, where are we? You know, in the main theme, uh, the the main sort of threat, threat, threat of the show and should. You know, and I, I guess it would be interesting to say, you know, maybe that's an artistic choice that he made, but I, I don't, I don't think so. I think he was just trying to go through his ideas. Yeah, <laughs> you know, you know, well, you know he, and so, he was probably obligated for thirteen episodes, so it's like, yeah. well, I've got to give him thirteen episodes, so here we go. And right, yeah. you know, and I did, and I did mention that, like, by episode eleven, we do start to see those previous four episodes start to be put into a context in terms yes. of this larger narrative. Like you said, bringing it back to 
the larger narrative to sort of wrap things up and and it's it's great that it it really shows to the talent of uh Satoshi Khan that he was able to rein things in and bring things back full circle to the narrative even if he goes off of the rails because of the fact that I mean there are some filmmakers who just are not capable of that. Like yeah, some yeah. of them, you know, once they're gone, they're just gone. You're not right. going to see them. <laughs> right, right. They go off the rails and they just keep going. <laughs> you know, and it's funny. It's like, it, you know, one of the filmmakers I would kind of consider, one of the filmmakers I would sort of, I would sort of uh, compare Satoshi Khan to is David Lynch. And I, I do definitely think that there are films of Lynch's. And I mean, even, even something like Twin Peaks, where it's like, they, they, in the second season, they solve the fundamental mystery of the series so quickly that the last half of that season just kind of feels lost. And, you know, I haven't watched The Return yet. I do need to at some point. But um, it. But at the same time, I still kind of enjoyed those episodes because of the fact that it's like, I love the fact they basically just kind of went off on his own. It's like, well, I'm I'm done with the fundamental mystery. I'm I'm just gonna explore this world a little bit more, and right. uh, you know I, I I also think about his uh, last feature film in Let Net Power, where it's like even though there's a lot of surreal aspects of it that sort of go in various directions, doesn't really have a straightforward narrative. I I also feel like to a certain extent the end goes a bridge too far to where it's like if you if you go too far off of it, it's like yeah you kind of lose me a little bit. But, um, you know, at his best, sort of like with Satoshi Khan, David Lynch at his best can, if he goes too far gone, he can also bring it back and uh, make it accessible as well. And I mean, that's that's one of the things that is, uh, yeah, I mean, and that's one of the reasons, and Stanley Kubrick's another filmmaker that would sort of liken Satoshi Khan to, but that's more from the uh, perfectionist nature of his filmmaking and more than the uh, storytelling as well. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the, when I was watching uh, that every frame of painting episode, uh, Wes Anderson was one of the um, uh, people that they compared him to just, Khan to just, just uh, with Wes Anderson's ability to sort of sometimes remove visual information in order to communicate something faster, mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, and, 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 but you can also see with Wes Anderson where, you know, he's, he is. He's got this very unique story that he's telling in, in, in a unique way, and it could easily go off the rails in 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 in, in, in a couple of different places. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and sometimes he makes these connections that are um, that where where kind of you kind of miss almost like an ellipsis. Um, you know where where he like skips past um, you know a, a certain thing, and you just kind of assume that it happened. Um, but yeah. but but he makes, it, he makes it happen so well in the story that you just kind of keep keep going. Um, uh, and so, uh, so, 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 you know, Wes Anderson is probably another, another one that I would, would put in there. Yeah. Um, yep. but I mean, you know, and I, I think that's certainly a fair comparison. I mean, I, I can think of moments from Paranoia Agent, especially from, uh, Tokyo Godfathers that mm-hmm. you definitely see as being, uh, akin to Wes Anderson and the way he would tell those stories that type of yep. story. Um, but yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, 
yeah, it's, it's it's one of those things where it's like I guess because of the surreal nature of things and the more perfectionist nature of uh, Satoshi Kon, the type of the way he presents this story makes me think of Lynch and uh, Kubrick more so. Right, right, right. Yeah, you, you can definitely see you know uh, the the Hoodlum Khan versus Mature Khan coming out in different very areas, different areas. But at the end of the day. In terms of the framework of the story, the mature con went out, mm-hmm. you know, uh, and 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 we got something that felt like it completed um, fairly well, even though you may have gotten lost, yeah. <laughs> you know, not you specifically, just 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 the audience may have gotten lost here and there along, along the way. It was a good getting lost. You know, mm-hmm. There's some interesting things that that happened, um, or the interesting stories that that, that were told. But if, if it's, it feels feels like he was mature enough of a um uh artist to to kind of link things back together you know yeah. and and until until a story that that felt complete yeah and that brings us to his final film as a director from 2006 paprika and it, it's funny because of the fact that i think when i was uh watching these last year in preparation for this it's like one of the things i messaged you about was it's like yeah, I'm still not entirely sure that I get this film. And this this is definitely the film where it's like I I very I was still very baffled by it for a long time. And it's funny because one of the one of the things that I say uh in my notes here is that even you can kind of see the visual imagination and the narrative sort of established right away. And I don't think that's something that I I don't think the narrative aspect is something that I noticed in my earlier viewings because the visual imagination in the film is just so pronounced and it's so mm-hmm. it it very much it it's sort of it's continuing in the tradition of what paranoia agent does in that respect in terms of the visual narr- imagination and the the bending of reality versus memory and just the messiness of that in general is uh it it's really upfront in this movie in a way that you don't really even even in something like perfect blue i don't think you completely get it right yeah you know um when i was watching that documentary um he he said that this film was like i i uh i'm having difficulty remember it's it's almost like he felt that this film was like a milestone for him and it's almost like the film that he meant to make with perfect blue. Like he, he just mm-hmm. felt like all of his ideas that he had had um, were, was, was kind of wrapped up uh, in, in this film. Not that he wouldn't have continued to, to explore different personas in his other, in his other films had he, had he stayed alive, but he, I, it sounded like this, this film was, was definitely a, a milestone for him. But yeah, I mean, this film is definitely uh, visually, visually dense yeah. <laughs> in, in, in particular areas. Um, and, uh, and yeah, I mean, I, uh, for, for me, um, I, I immediately love this film. It's kind of a little bit up up my alley, just in terms of um, like the technology aspect of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, I, uh, uh, I I I didn't feel this. This one felt easier for me to understand than Perfect Blue. Actually, mm-hmm. uh, uh, if uh, not not quite as approachable as the Tokyo Godfathers, uh, but but uh, but but it may have just also been. Um, the uh, the animation style, um, but was a little bit easier on the eyes because it's just a little bit more modern than than, than a perfect blue. Um, yeah. 
Yeah, but uh, but but this, uh, as I mentioned before, um, part of what really got me with this movie was the uh, the music. Um, I, I thought this was the best. I mean, although the score from Millennium Mattress is fantastic, it's, yeah. it's, it's incredible. <laughs> um, I, I, I love the the blending uh, of the music and and the art uh, in this in this this particular film. Um, and and so and so yeah. So this 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 one for me was another an immediate love. Um, uh, but and 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 just this one one more time. The intro to this film is, I think, is just incredible with with his yeah. his cuts and and crazy, just crazy, you know, off the wall madness um, editing that, that that he's done at the beginning of this film. I think the, film, the intro to this film is just uh, a masterpiece. Yeah, I definitely I definitely noticed the energy of it the last time I watched in uh, August, and um, yeah, I mean this 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 definitely. There are times where I'm still a bit baffled by this movie, but there are also times where it's like I'm much more in tune with this movie than I was before. And I think I think watching Khan's films in relative quick succession and the fact that I was watching Paranoia Agent for the first time, I, I think that really I think that really helped me put Paprika more in the context of his work in general as opposed to just as a separate work. And uh, this is, you know, it's funny because it's like one of the other things I mentioned is that it also feels a bit more like a more surreal version of Inception. And yeah. uh, this, this is about a device that has access to dreams and the psyche of therapy, therapists, uh, therapy patients, and um, it, but it also has negative effects on the mind, and that's that's one of the things that um, we're wrestling with here. Is the uh, is, is are those negative effects on the mind? And I think it's it's one of the things that once you get a grasp of that aspect of it, it's it's really easier to get into this film. Right, right, yeah, 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 yeah. It's hard, it's hard to mention this film without mentioning uh, Inception because <laughs> yeah. it's they're just yeah. I I, uh, I I done some reading. I can't remember much of it now. Um, when um, uh, this movie came out, or, 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 or when Inception came out, um, Inception came out after this movie, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, of course, of course, it was influenced by. It. Um, but yeah, just 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 the the, the level of influence um, Christopher Nolan pulled, you know, from from Paprika. I mean, I know there's there's one scene that is basically from Paprika, <laughs> <laughs> you know. Um, so, but but I, I I forgot like how how much he was influenced by it uh, when, when I was reading about it. But um, but 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 yeah, I uh, you know he uh, I think. Overall, um, the the science fiction aspect of it um, was balanced well with sort of the sort of the, the mental illness aspect of it, or or or, or um, you know, like like it would, it would have been easy to go far into science fiction and how everything worked, right? Yeah. Um, but 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 it was, it was it was definitely more focused on like the the, the mind bending aspects of it and and um, you know healing yourself you know through through dreams or 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 what you could become you know sort of the dual personas again kind of what you, what you could become in, in in a dream versus how you saw yourself 
in in real life. Uh, yeah. And it was that way for definitely for, for the main character and even for the sort of the main programmer or whatever developer behind the, the te- technology. Um, and and uh, and so I, I like the fact that very similar to to Inception, where you know it was much more about um, the, the the characters rather than the uh, the technology. Yeah, yeah, and I I think that's that's one of the things that I that's one of the things that I think makes Satoshi Kon such an important storyteller. In addition, more even more than just an animation uh animated filmmaker just just one of the great storytellers in film i mean i i would put him up there with uh kubrick with david lynch in that respect because of the fact that i i think he had he he's somebody who had very specific interests in his films who isn't afraid to challenge audiences um when it comes to uh giving them images that may take a film or two, a viewing or two to uh, really get a grasp on. And I think that's, that's, that's one of those things. And it's like, it's one thing to be able to say, Hey, you know, I saw this film once and I enjoyed it. It's, it's one thing to be able to say that. And it's like, I, I love films that I can say that with, but at the same time, I also love films that, challenges challenge me that draw me into watching them again to see if I can understand them a little bit more. Right. And, um, you know, it's funny because of the fact that, uh, you know, sort of going to Lynch just briefly is like one of the films of his, the first film of his that I'd seen was lost highway. If you're familiar with that film, that shouldn't be the first David Lynch film that you watch um because it's very much in keeping with his uh Mobius strip type of filmmaking that sort of came out after Twin Peaks and with Firewalk with me and then Mohon Drive and Inland Empire later and it's not necessarily something you're gonna get on the first time and it's like as I've rewatched the film over the years I I have more of an appreciation for it and I think, and you know, repeat viewings of movies is something that if you can, if you're able to do it, it's it's a good thing. I mean, obviously, when I, when I talk about able to do it, obviously time constraints as well. Because um, even there are times where I have a hard time rewatching movies where it's like I'm focused so much on movies that are going on right now, I... Yeah, it's hard to sometimes rewatch movies unless I'm doing them for a podcast or something like that. And I I think filmmakers like Satoshi Khan are filmmakers that reward those uh repeat viewings and I I definitely feel like Paprika's done that for me. Yeah, 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 definitely, definitely. Yeah, I mean um yeah, I mean it's this is movies are almost made for re- re- repeat viewing. Um, you know, uh, e- even from this standpoint of, uh, you kind of know what's coming. Um, but still the descent, um, or the blending of realities, particularly in a movie like, like perfect blue, even though you know, it's coming, it's, it's still kind of you take, you can still kind of go one step deeper, um, uh, with 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 almost each viewing, just and 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 really think about the implications of things. It just gives you a lot to think about, um, you know. Uh, in in addition to like 
you know, I wouldn't blame anybody for not 100% following Perfect Blue the first time yeah. <laughs> or, 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 or Paprika the, the first time. Um, so, uh, so, so, so yeah, I mean, his, his movies are definitely made for re- repeat viewing and, and they offer up something substantial, um, in terms of repeat viewing. Yeah. And I, I think that's, that's, that's one of the reasons where it's like, I, you know, and animated, animated filmmaker, animation filmmakers, we, we've sort of touched on it. It's like, where it's like animation directors don't necessarily get the type of credit that uh, feature that narrative live action filmmakers get um, as far as having a particular voice, even though, I mean, I think a lot of people, who, a lot of people who would watch animation and made films, I mean, even Hollywood ones, you can kind of tell that certain filmmakers have a certain voice and, you know, whether you're talking about Pete Docter, whether you're talking about um, Matt Ring in terms of TV, whether you're talking about uh, Bruce Tim and the other careers of the uh, DC animated film, animated shows, and, uh, you know, John Laster, Brad Bird, and so on and so forth. I, you know, it's like different filmmaker, you know, animated filmmakers have, they, they have signatures too. They have things that make you realize that it's like, Oh hey, I'm I remember I remember that guy. He did this one. And it's like this reminds me of this. Oh hey, it's the same filmmaker. And uh I you know, it's like one of the things that I I think that's one of the things that's kind of we're it's kind of a modern thing in American animation where it's like with the exception of somebody like Ralph Bakshi who's very much an independent, not really beholden to a specific um animation studio it's like you don't really outside of the Warner Brothers the Looney Tunes filmmakers directors your Chuck Joneses Chris Freelings and uh Tex Avery's it's like you're Disney didn't really promote their early films as you know from the same filmmakers as like Fantasia or Snow White and stuff like that you didn't really know unless you went looking at who the director's credits, you don't necessarily know who made those films. They essentially were the, the credit was Walt Disney as the producer. And I mean, you know, it's like even, even in, to a certain extent, even the golden age in the late eighties, early nineties of Disney still kind of worked in that, um, worked in that vein and it wasn't really until Pixar that we started to see a shift in that I think and so you know we we've talked about um you know different filmmakers animation filmmakers having particular voices and it's like I think people you'd be hard-pressed to find people who love Hayao Miyazaki's films who wouldn't necessarily say Hayao Miyazaki is one of their favorite filmmakers and they would put them in the same list as in the same vein as a Spielberg or Scorsese or like a live action director. And I think Satoshi Khan fits within that, that uh, perspective too, because of the fact that, I mean, even with something that seems very out of his wheel box and out of his basic formula that we've, covered in this episode like Tokyo Godfathers 
it still feels like a Satoshi Kon film in a lot of ways. And uh, so, I mean, when I when I say Satoshi Kon is one of my favorite filmmakers, it's like I, you know, I don't have a problem putting him up there with people like Kurosawa or uh, or Bergman or Truffaut or filmmaker other filmmakers that I just absolutely love. Right. Yeah. 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 I'm, I'm with you. I mean, I, you know, I, I, although he does animated films, and, and 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 like you said, like there's this almost kind of dichotomy between, you know, an, an animated film director and a live action film director. Um, uh, you know, and I'm not saying like animated film directors look look down upon. They're just not put on the same type of pedestals that the feature film directors are. Um, but but when I say Satoshi Kon or Miyazaki, I think of him as you know the same vein i think of a christopher nolan you know yeah. uh you know it's, i mean he is he's an animation director but when i walk away from his films I, I i get i feel like i walked away from a live action film in terms of um you know uh this this the sensibilities uh in terms of you know the themes um uh, unlike i get when i walk away from uh maybe a traditional sort of uh western an, an animation Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and so, and so, yeah, you know, um, and, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm hoping again, I think the future might just be sort of, you know, episodic, um, animation, but, but I'm, I'm hoping, you know, um, for, for, for whatever it's worth and perhaps just so that, um, these people kind of get paid what, what they're worth, um, you know, that, that perhaps, uh, you know, these animation directors are seen as more celebrities or, or their names are known more, you know. <laughs> And, and they're not hidden behind, um, you know, the, the Disney stamp <laughs> or, or the Netflix stamp, you know. <clears throat> yeah. And uh, with with that said, um, I, I think this is a good place to wrap it up. And uh, David, thank you very much for uh, joining me to uh, discuss uh, this great filmmaker who is gone, but certainly not forgotten. Indeed, indeed, gone, gone, gone too soon. But, 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 uh, I'm glad that uh, the works that he left uh, are. I'm glad that he was able to leave the works, the works that he left, because I think that they uh, will continue to influence and inspire long past, you know, his his passing. I'd like to thank David Miles for joining me on the podcast to discuss Satoshi Khan, and it's always good to uh, talk to him, and I always enjoy. Talking to him, having he has some really good ideas on film and uh, pop culture, and uh, he he's sort of my go-to as far as anime. And hopefully, uh, hopefully, sometime in the future, we'll talk about Cowboy Bebop because I really love that series as well. That's it for this episode of the Sonic Cinema Podcast. Thank you very much for joining us on however you listen, whether it's over uh, Apple, Google, or Spotify or at the Sonic Cinema Podcast YouTube channel. Also, check us out at patreon.com backslash Sonic Cinema. Coming in, coming up, I'm going to be talking with a uh, returning guest on um, some classic films, as well as the uh, prelude to the Oscars. They're finally coming, thank God, after a way too long award season. But for now, this is uh, Brian Scuttle, and thank you very much for checking us out at www.sonic-cinema.com.